will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome to another episode of Leverage Addicts, and today we have one of the top advisors in New Zealand sitting across me, Ziyang Cheng, been working with us for a few years now, um, just started from the client success team, or back then we called it the servicing team, and just servicing our clients and then just understanding properties, understanding mortgages, and really he just got better and better and better and better. And now if you just Google him, he will be in the top 10 uh, in the last couple of years. So welcome, Ziyang. Thanks, Brandon. You're making me flash. (laughs) (laughs) So today, the reason why I got you on is because you have not only, you know, tried to do the mortgages for the client give them advice around how they could build their portfolio, but you really went into doing it yourself and you've built a pretty decent portfolio in the few years that you've sort of started working with us. And so now, because as a tradition of the Leverage Attic podcast, you have to tell us how much debt you have. Cool. Yeah. So as of today, uh, roughly around um, four and a half million dollars of lending. So four and a half million. What's wrong with you? Why would you want more, so much debt? And debt is good, Bannon. That's why you taught me. I guess a um, bit of background about myself. I'm a Chinese born Kiwi. I've been in the industry for five years. It's been You're Chinese? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So property was something that's always been in a conversation in our family. Yeah. I guess like from a very early age, um, parents were always um, talking about property. They weren't uh, what you call, you know, successful property investors, but uh, just by purchasing properties throughout the years, they've done pretty well for themselves. Were they the first generation, if I may interrupt, like were they like sort of came here and they just brought you guys over as well? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So parents came uh, pretty much with relatively nothing, you know, working lower than minimum wage jobs at the time. (laughs) How did they move to a country like this though? I think at the time, New Zealand was pretty open to skilled migrants. So I think my parents came with, they had a university degree and that's all you needed really to come to New Zealand. Working at Mortgage HQ, I've seen the success of many clients through property. You know, a lot of them, they didn't really start with much either, but obviously through the compounding effect through many years of investing, they've done really well for themselves. But how do they know if they sort of come here with sort of like very little, how did they know to get into properties? Like what was it that made them think about, oh, okay, like, you know, to buy more properties? Yeah. That's a really good question, actually. My parents, they were never actually, like I mentioned, they weren't property investors. Uh, I would call them accidental property investors, whereas um, every single property that they've purchased was for us to live in. We started off in South Auckland as our first house and then moved to East Auckland for obviously myself and my sister to have a better education. And then, yeah, they did, they, they just didn't sell their properties and they kept their properties um, that they purchased in the past. So they, they didn't actually have a have a strategy in place to build a portfolio, but it was more so accidental. But even that, that made a huge difference. 100%, 100%. You know, looking at their position, if I knew what I knew today and I could add value to, to them back then, they would be in a much better position as they were today. Relating back to your story, because my parents, I, I wish I could have told them to hold on to yeah. a few more properties, where, yeah. whereas they just sold it to pay down the debt. My parents did the exact same thing. They wanted to sell their properties, but um, at the time, I think it was during the GFC, um, they bought the, their house at the peak of the market. They wanted to obviously move into the new house before selling the 
previous house, but the challenge was um, as soon as they bought the new house, the prices plummeted significantly. So yeah, they thought, crazy. hey, look, let's just keep it. You know, we'll rent it out. It's going to be a bit of pain, but yeah, maybe in the long run, we'll, we'll see some gain. And how much did they buy that house for? And what is it worth now? So at the time, I bought it for uh, in, two, in 02, they bought it for maybe $340,000. And when they were when they were going to sell it, it was going to be worth around um, you know just over five hundred thousand dollars. So today, it's worth probably one and a half million. Jeez. So yeah, probably four x since they bought the property twenty years ago. So that's the um, lesson about just holding on in the long term because. Yeah. Even if you bought in the peak, it seems like, man, such a bad decision. But if you could ride out the storm, you can come out the other end. Yeah. So interestingly enough, you said, okay, well, you looked at client situation, you learned from what they've done, apply it in your own situation. So then why did you decide to go and do it yourself? Yeah, I guess for me, it's, um, you know, property is a, definitely a tool to build, to build wealth, uh, to build passive income. And uh, the great thing with property is that we can leverage on it, right? So we don't actually need to have cash. And the other thing is, what are the alternatives, right? So we know that it's going to be pretty hard to save yourself to, to being wealthy. Yep. So what are my options? You got properties, shares, cryptocurrencies, bonds, etc. So to me, property is the one option that made the most sense. So that's a good thought. Um, looking at the alternatives yep. and obviously some of those alternatives, they don't uh, have leverage as well. Yep. And that makes a property ever so attractive because the banks are allowing you to have really good terms on the mortgage. You can even have interest only. And so you have some rental income to pay for the mortgage and yep. That really makes a lot of sense. So how did you get started in your first property? I had a bit of a deposit saved up for a couple of years and I bought my first one in, in Christchurch. That property was a was a home and income, I think around like $900,000. At the time, the LVRs were 20%. So it was a lot easier to get into an investment. Means that you can put a smaller deposit exactly. into so to 20%, property. Yeah, 20% yeah. deposit for a, yeah. So right now it's 40%, but at the time it was much, much easier. And why did you decide to buy this particular property? Well, what was it that, you were looking at like from what you've learned from clients what what did you apply there i guess with this property the main thing was uh, i was searching for the cash flow i also wanted to have a property in a, in a major city as my first property at the time the numbers were really great like if i were to hold on to it the per annum cash flow would have been like just over twenty thousand dollars so it was cash flow positive it was yeah so it didn't put any strain on my situation at all I, in fact i would actually make money by holding this property yeah so um that was the process behind it so essentially if it's 20 percent deposit you're getting 20k you're you're getting like 10 percent cash on cash return yeah i mean that, that's uh, at the time <laughs> right that's when the interest rates were around like you know two and a half three percent man like uh i wish i had that kind of wisdom on my first properties but um that's that's really awesome and and so as you progress you i remember you bought um that timaru multi-unit that was a huge project you just had all the units rented out it's like six units or something and that one was like 11% or something yeah, after you finished. It's, yeah, roughly 11% after finished. So a bit of background on that one to buy that property. And obviously at the time it was 40% deposit. So I didn't have anything at the time. So I went to mum and my cousin and I said, hey, look, this is a really good deal. We have to do this. And um, I pretty much, I had a little bit myself, like nothing significant, but mum and my cousin put together some deposit and basically I, they couldn't borrow money. So I was the one that went in to, to borrow the money. And they just came in with the deposit. So, so it was a win-win. I mean, how did you split the the deal in the end? Is it just a loan that you have from them, or did you give them like, hey, an upside? Say, you know, if you sell in the future, there, there's a profit share. Yeah, I mean, for mum, it's not not much agreement. She just, you know, let me do whatever. But with my cousin, it's um, he put in half of the deposit required, essentially um, by me borrowing the money 
it actually increased my borrowing position by holding this property. So I said, oh. hey, look, I will take over the whole liability of the, of the debt. And then you give me half of the, the deposit, I'll put in the other half. And basically we, we just 50, 50 on everything. So the, the income, the equity, the, uh, the upside, everything's 50, 50. I really like that deal because it wasn't just a great deal itself, but there was a bit more cre creativity in terms of how you wanted to structure it, how you sort of get people together give them a return and then look at the strength of weakness on all parties Correct. and then you create value because basically you're covering for each other's weakness yeah 100 percent. and that's i think that's quite important in today's market as well as you know like it's it's not very easy to lending is, is a lot harder than before so yeah i guess it's important to be a little bit creative and how you can make things happen in this current market so if you had to reflect back into your investing journey so far yeah Right, you're at four and a half mil debt. That's quite a few properties. Yeah. So, what are your two to three biggest key takeaways or lessons that you know you wish you could do it again, yeah. or you would tell your earlier self if you could? In 2021, as you know, what happened with the property market, everything went 20, 30 yeah. percent. So, at the time, I I was also really keen on getting in on the in the fund. I also bought a, a property that was a land bank with a really low cash flow, with the intention of potentially developing in the future. That property at the time, it was a very good deal. But if you look at it now, it's probably like a pretty average deal. So I guess one of the lessons is just, it's what Warren Buffett says, right? When be greedy when um, others are fearful and then be fearful when others are, are greedy. So yeah. at the time I was, I was being greedy when others are also greedy. So I got burnt a little bit there. Like I said, it, for me, it's um, property is a long game, right? So my parents suffered the exact same mistakes throughout the whole property journey. Every single time they purchased property, it was at the peak of the market. It was a bit of pain at the time, but if you write it out for, for long enough, then it should be. Um... So what would you do differently about that deal? Like what's, I mean, uh, obviously, how do you know, like, how would you know you're in the in, in the peak and what would you try and change? How would you know you're in the peak? It's it's quite hard to identify. I mean, it's clear, but also hard as well. You don't know when we're exactly at the peak, right? Like you could, you could say the peak was in 2020, but then we still went another 20% after 2020. So it's quite hard to identify when the exact peak is, but when rates are a lot that low, cost of borrowing is extremely cheap. You know, that's when people are flooding into properties. So that's when people are greedy, right? When money is cheap. Then if you were to go back, like how would you approach it differently? Like, would you still buy something or would you set different criterias? Yeah, I guess I would set different criterias. If I were to buy, I would be buying properties that had good cash flow because obviously if you have good cash flow, it's cash flow neutral. It doesn't matter if it goes up and down. You can hold on to it and basically, you know, it's, it's self-sufficient. But with this deal, right, at the time it was already cash flow negative and the rates were, you know, in the threes. So now the rates are at 6%. So you can see um, it's going to be significantly cash flow negative. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, setting the different criteria and what I want to buy is probably what I would do. So setting criteria, like were there other lessons that you feel were valuable for someone who's like newer or just sort of getting into it? The other lesson is probably just it's you have to identify what's going to be suitable for your portfolio, right? So at the time that buy was more like for me, that was an impulse buy. I wanted to, you know, get in, in the, in the fund. I don't really need that property in my portfolio because mm -hmm. you know, like we had a bit of equity from obviously I, I haven't said this already, but I, um, I had access to a few of my parents' properties for equity, um, actually need any more equity. What we needed was more cash flow. It's, it's about identifying what you need in your portfolio as opposed to, just buying um, what you feel is right. <laughs> so trying to look at the portfolio overall and just seeing what the needs are opposed to, like, would you say strategy come from strategy over perhaps looking at the overall portfolio? Yeah. Like, would you just stick with one strategy or would you try to 
maybe modify like a portfolio based on what it needs. Everyone should have a different strategy, right? Like there's no, there's no one size fits all. And it's all, it's all dependent on like where you are financially. Like for example, if you're a bodybuilder, sometimes some people might have, you know, stronger pecs, some people might have stronger legs. Uh, it's really about, you know, figuring out what your weakness is and, and working on that. So if someone is trying to get into property investing, like in the current market, and perhaps they are looking for something that has got good capital gains, yeah. what would you sort of recommend them look at? Like what are some strategy that you think would be more fitting? There's, there's so many strategies for, for capital gains, right? If you want equity gain in the long run, basically every property in New Zealand is going to have capital gains. Like if you look at the graph over the last, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, there's no area that significantly outshone another area. People will say Auckland is going to be better technically it's it's not false but you know you got all the regions experiencing similar gains yeah i mean auckland is always going to be a great place to invest in but the problem with auckland is that we're going to have pretty bad cash flow um if you're going in with a small deposit and you're borrowing uh majority of the money in today's environment you're going to be paying a lot of money like probably around just the one mill properties you're going to be down maybe 30 40 maybe fifty thousand dollars a year just by holding it so yes like capital gain is, is going to be there in auckland but it costs a lot to hold it. So would you say that really depends on the person's sort of financial position, like depending on like what their cash flow looks like? Correct. Yeah. They so make a different decision. Yeah. Yes. So if the guy, if the client has, you know, if they got a high paying job and they can, they can hold onto those properties with their personal income, then it's not a bad choice. But if you're a client whose the income is already quite tight, then, you know, it's probably not a great choice to look into Auckland property. Okay. Let's just say I am happy to put in 35,000, 40,000 yeah. a year. Yeah. yeah into the property, sink it into it, yeah. even if it's on negative cash flow, but I want really, really good upside. Yeah. What kind of properties would I look at? I would say properties with, with good location, first of all, and good development potential. You've seen what happened in the last couple of years, right? The properties that had, had the most capital gains were the ones with a bit of land in a good location. If you're happy to sink the money in 30, 40K a year, then you can't really go wrong. That is um, a good sharing. So what about if something or someone is looking for cash flow? What are, what are we looking at? What type of properties? The, the most obvious one is a multi-unit. Sorry, a multi -unit. So you might have a property that has four, five, or even six units on, on one title. So typically, uh, those will have much higher cash flow. So in... In today's market, I'd say you could look at getting 8% plus on those sort of deals. If you can get social housing on top of that, then obviously um, it's much better because then you've got tax deductibility. The second thing is um, home and income. Home and income is just to a house with another income on, on top, potentially like a minor dwelling or a, another legal unit that you can rent out. So those are typically going to be high income as well. Yeah. Thirdly, single houses that are, that are in a cheaper price price bracket that have more rooms, those ones have pretty good income as well. So you can get 8% plus on any of those deals. That's great. For you, with your property investing, yeah. what's your focus at the moment? What's your next goal? What are you wanting out of the portfolio? Yeah, so for me, yeah. I guess uh, at the moment, I want a bit of a challenge. The cash flow stuff is pretty cool. Uh, I, I always want to add like, you know, one cash flow every, every year or every two years. For me at the moment, I'm working on a development project um, on one of the sites. It's just, um, I just want to challenge myself and, you know, get out of my comfort zone. Yeah, that's my focus this year. And that's going to be a, yeah, like a six lot development in, um, in Point England. After learning about your portfolio, perhaps you can share a little bit about your mortgage broking and that side of your work. What do you do for clients? Yeah, I guess um, for mortgage brokering, the main goal was to bring them from what we call the mortgage life cycle, right? We've got stage zero or all the way to stage three. Depending on what stage they are, we want to push them through to the next stage. So essentially, the end goal is always to become financially free. And that's 
in stage three, what we do is we assess our client's situation. We would provide advice on what actions we need to take in order for to go to one stage to the next. And so for you, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about like some of the clients that you have helped, like what are some of the results that you help them achieve that sort of motivates you and keeps you going? Yeah, we got clients coming with just one property and they and they got brokers saying that, hey, look, they um you can't do anymore. This is uh your, your income is capped. For us, we're, we're more solutions-based. So what we do is um, we look at the client situation and say, hey, look, maybe there's more avenues we can take to grow your portfolio. So in that client's situation, we did a few things, but ultimately we, we had to sell down one of our properties that was a lower yielding property. And then we managed to buy, you know, build a portfolio that had probably six or seven properties in, in the span of a year. That's great. So if somebody wants to talk to you or sort of reach out uh, or get some advice from you, Ziang, how can they, how can they do that? Pretty easy. All the advisors in our company are pretty, are really competent. Myself, anyone else you, you can reach out to. All of our details are going to be on the on the website. So just so you guys know, uh, Ziang is actually basically our representative for the advisory team. He's really lived uh, what he preach. And so, yeah, he's going to be great help. And um, I think he's really getting the younger advisors to really step up and, and just try and encourage them to do the same, you know, living what we preach. Appreciate your time, Ziyang. And you if you guys uh, want to learn more, check out the YouTube channel, Mortgage HQ. And then if you are really wanting to sit down and read a lot, a lot as well, we've got our own book, The 3PF. You can purchase it on our website. Until next time, I'll talk to you guys again.